This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I'm RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spy number of time in order to release this week. We're uh, old-timey gangsters, but classy gangsters, not the kinds that get addicted to heroin. Uh, mm. As we watch Spine 150 in the Criterion Collection, Jean-Pierre Melville's Bob Le Flambeau from 1946. But first, RJ, mm. how, how are you feeling? Horrible. You, you're looking a little uh, green under the gills. Green under is it under the gills or in the gills? Uh maybe both. What does that mean? It means you're sick. Yeah, I, I know, but like, what does that expression mean? Like a sick fish. Like a sick. Do fish get sick? Probably, but but usually they they probably get sick and then they die from so, like mercury poisoning. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sick. Uh, I I mentioned to Jared before. Uh, I had like one of the worst nights of my worst nights of my life last night i got food poisoning i think and uh in the middle of the night i woke up with some heavy cramps i guess this is what uh people say about cramps you know they suck (laughs) and uh i was throwing up all night long and then i had to go and do all my my schooling today and that sucked and now i feel like a real bag of shit Jarrett. well that's fine i feel i feel what i look like normally uh, so do, you, do you see? Because you're always you're always talking about how I'm I'm a bad person. Uh, yeah, I'm really sick. Awesome. And, um, Look at you podcasting it up. Yeah, this happens sometimes. Uh, I think I, one time I had the flu or a cold. I don't know. I'm sure. Yeah, I think at one point or another you've had one of those. Yeah, I think. I don't. I don't know why though. Like when I was a kid, I never used to get sick. This is like a, a new recent thing. Do you think it's the alcoholism? um well you know i've noticed that since i've like turned my life around and don't treat my body like crap i don't really get sick that often anymore while people around me get sick or while i get some sort of like mild thing it's like very mild and it's like maybe i'm maybe if i was like in i don't know white blood cells i don't know Mm. i'm not a doctor rj I'm a well, I'm, I'm, I'm a dude. Close. I'm a dude who watches movies on a podcast. I don't know fucking anything. Well, I'm pretty close to that doctor level, and I, I don't have any hard answers either. But no. I don't feel like I'm. I live like complete shit all the time, just on the weekends. But you know what? I also been getting flu shots, so maybe that is something. To I do got with a flu that. shot this year. Well, there you go. But I don't think food poisoning. No, counts. that kind I of like, tr- that that that, that, tr- that 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 uh, <laughs> there you go. That trumps that. No, I that or the, the sickest I ever got was a uh, Norwalk virus. That that's some fun stuff. Mm. That, that 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 tears through a, a family like immediately. It's it's pretty mm. it's pretty ridiculous. You know what else tears through a family? Diarrhea. <laughs> oh, that also comes along with Norwalk virus. Ooh, that sounds pretty bad. I think I had swine flu once. It was like when swine flu was really big, but I was younger and I was kind of more strong and healthy. And like for a week, I had the worst flu I've ever had in my life. I'm pretty sure it was swine flu. Did I ever tell you about when I had abs the last time I had the flu? When you had abs? Oh, because from, from vomiting? From vomiting so much. Yeah. It was like for six six minutes one time at the like the crown of five days of vomiting for six minutes. My stomach like... In, it collapsed on itself and I just had like a six pack. Wow. It was pretty fun. So I think I might be able to get to that level well, again. It, it, well, it's probably also from like all the f- food you weren't eating and losing a lot of uh, 
mass there. And then it's like, that oh, too. look, I'm, I'm emaciated. I got abs, though. Yeah. No water weight either because yeah. I was drinking Gatorade and then throwing it immediately back up. I needed an IV, I think. I didn't eat anything or drink anything for like four days. So you almost died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That happens yeah. to the best of us. It was pretty close. It was because I'm pretty sure it's because I got a corn dog at the gas station in Claire's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any global listeners, which is, I think, almost everyone, uh, it is like the busiest gas station in Western Canada. I heard one time. I don't know if that's true, but I did hear it has more traffic go through the, it than the, any the, other. Oh, the Claire's home 7-Eleven? Uh, yeah, yeah, than any other petrol station in west canada so anyways i had a corn dog there and then i was sick for like seven days and i knew i knew it wasn't good either and all these people are with they're like you've never eaten at that gas station i was like no why would i and they're like it's really good we promise you won't get you're not gonna die and i was like all right it's just a 7-eleven yeah well with with a a hot bar of meat you tell that to the toilet that i i blew off of the the wall because i was blowing it out from both ends Jesus. You ever do, you ever have to do that where it's coming out one and the other? What do you do? What's your strategy? Do you just aim down or do you... You know what? Luckily, I've uh, avoided that particular uh, circumstance. So last night, like it, this this doesn't happen often. <laughs> oh my God. Last night, I had to alternate, which was oh. not a pretty so, thing. Like, so it's like uh, Randy in South Park, but he, his nose is also bleeding. Uh, I don't watch South Park, but what? my nose wasn't oh, That's like one of the... uh, I'm not a nerd like you. Oh, come on. That's, that was a great moment in animation. Well, I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty dicey for a while. So I think I got Ebola again. <sighs> so we'll take this up with Costco because that's where the food came from. Do you think I got a sweet settlement on my hand? Hands? Well, I don't know. Better save that evidence. Unless you ate. Oh, it, it was all baked. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want a big? I'll pass. I well, got You one. know, the thing you haven't considered, though, is like you mentioned that Andrea didn't eat any of the food. She said it tasted off, and then she proceeded Can, to let you eat it. So, okay, I, so I, just, did, did she also she, cook this food? She did cook this is food. Is she trying to kill you? She is trying to kill me. Oh, and well, there you go. the one thing I mentioned is she didn't say that she felt weird about it until I had already eaten all of it. And it was this morning when I was sick. She said, "Oh yeah." She's like, "I had a." She's like, "I just I didn't feel right about that food, so I didn't eat it." And she's like, "I just didn't say anything to you." And I was like, "What? You poisoned me, Jarrett? It's a real Munchausen thing." Not even married yet. She's trying to kill you. Well, better men have tried. Hey, RJ. What? We have an email. A single? Single email. What's going on? Where's our, our droves of fans? Uh, I don't know. Dealing with life problems. What's, what's going on with the people we know in Lithuania? None of them have emailed in. I don't know. Fuck them. Fuck maybe, maybe I should stop telling them that and maybe they'll email us. But mm. Oliver Granger, he says like the next best thing to that regarding my brilliant career as discussed last week, which is coming mm. to Blu-ray. And uh, he writes, is an Australian movie, you cunts. Uh, Although it does have New Zealand's number one son, Sam Neill. Hey, I don't like being chunked in the same category as you. I said nothing. And it, you are routinely the bad person. So you were the one making gross assumptions about countries. And I don't know. Your bigotry knows no bounds. <laughs> this is true. 
So, well, that's funny that you're a bad person and it's confirmed now. Again. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, always nice to hear well, from someone. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, uh-huh. Oliver. Uh, hey, RJ. Mm. While not puking and shitting your guts out, what you been creeping on this week? Not a lot. I didn't really watch a lot. I had a plan to go see like Spider Verse, and yeah, uh, you started, that, you, started movie you started, ass. you started messing, messaging me that you're like all these threats about how you're going to see Glass and how like where I could get a copy of Split and like that I should go buy Split so you could watch it. And I'm just like, what's wrong with you? This movie's garbage. Like, there's no one saying this movie's good. Why are you wasting your life? And you're bugging me about this. You're wasting my time, and you don't even wind up going to it. Oh. It's like, okay, well, okay. come on, dude. Okay, well, I, I thought it was going to happen, and, like, we're on record. I can't remember what episode it was, but how openly we, neither of us liked Split. And I still think Split was a bad movie. But uh, I was going to show Andrea Split to get her take on it. But this fucking movie uh, is it's completely unattainable unattainable by legal means unless you're willing to spend ten dollars to buy the online copy you can't even rent it that seems pretty reason that seems pretty reasonable rj yeah but i don't want to buy it like all the other movies it was like renting for three dollars i was like oh i would do that but i was like uh ten dollars to buy i was like i know it's not a good movie and i looked at like finger quotes here other means but it seemed like a lot of those were being monitored by uh the big man so uh By blumhouse themselves yeah so i was like fuck i'm not gonna i'm not not gonna risk it on that piece of shit movie like i don't <laughs> need to watch it that much and then yeah i thought i was gonna go see ass but that didn't happen either like i got kind of busy this week and then i got real sick and now i'm just a huge piece of shit but mm-hmm. uh the, here's the good news andrea has agreed to go to spider-verse with me in theaters and it's still at the main run theater uh, after this Friday, so it's not leaving. So I'm gonna see if maybe on Sunday or Saturday we can go. Mm-hmm. So you'll be happy about that, Jared. But you did watch Unbreakable. I did watch Unbreakable. So I've talked about Unbreakable a lot before. You have. And let me, let me ask you, Jared. When's the last time you have watched Unbreakable? Oh man, I'd say probably like 15 years. 15 years yeah, yeah. I, I would say because like i i too was a pretty big fan of this movie when it came out i thought it was way better than six cents uh mm-hmm. i think i actually saw this in theater maybe even like three times because i was in high school and that's what you did you just went to yep. movies and there was less things available there was no th- netflix uh you watched movies over and over again that's what you used to do back in the day dag nabbit mm-hmm. so yeah i was a big fan of this movie though i haven't watched it for a very long time um, and I, I'm curious how it would hold up uh, now. So it's. I'm glad you mentioned because my advice, Jarrett, is leave it, leave it in your memory. Leave the memories alone. Yeah, leave it as this immaculate thing of nostalgia <laughs> that you're like, man, that time in the year 2000, that was the best movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I would say to leave it there. Um, not that it's bad. I still think it's really good. But there's a lot more things that are. Um, noticeable and i would say even dated so i too was a, a big um advocate of unbreakable we call uh, yourself a breakhead a breakhead yeah i got a, a tattoo of shattered glass on my ankle and it just says they called me mr glass you, you walk around um, in a uh, orange raincoat 
Uh, it's green, you oh, fucking. Whatever. Oh wait, that's idiot. right. It's, it's the it's the orange. It's the dumpster man, the orange yeah, dumpster it, rapist man. The the beast is orange. Uh, so I've mentioned before. Or, I sent Jared or, all or, or, all of M Night Shyamalan's orange, orange is evil. Yeah, and he was breaking down glass, which it was really funny. So like when glass before it even came out, like three days before. He was on Twitter making excuses for it about like he was explaining the movie before it came out, like all of these things. Oh, that's what you know like, what you know uh, does that as well, like chump art school kids who make crap and they yeah. want to talk before everyone does the crit about how bad stuff is well, to get see, ahead is, of the criticism. Yeah, and this is what I always talk about with movies where like Criterion movies where you have to know the context or do homework for it. It's like no, no, no. That doesn't like that can add to the movie after if you like look at all these things. But if on a first view, if you need to know that shit going in, then it's not a good movie. And he was going on like these big tirades about how like Mr. Glass was purple for royalty because he's the mastermind. And David Dunn is green as it is earth. And James McAvoy is orange as it is gross. And like he he was going on about like all this philosophical bullshit about like why glass is deep. And then it was like a day later that I think all the reviews came out and it was like, glass is horrible and everyone shat on it. So what was I talking about? Oh yeah. Unbreakable. Yeah. I was a big advocate of unbreakable. Uh, I thought like, like I said, this movie was immaculate in my memory. Um, I thought this was one of the best movies I've ever seen. And uh, I'm, I'm actually scared now to rewatch something like X2 which uh, I always said Unbreakable and X2 were the, the two best uh, non-Batman superhero movies ever made. So I don't know if I want to go back to X2 with a uh, rapist Brian Singer's uh, new taint all over that. Alleged. 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 You're right. Uh, but OK, so Unbreakable is still really good. And there's still a couple scenes that I think are uh, really effective and really powerful. Uh, I, I love when he comes back in the house and he gets that guy in the sleeper hold and that guy's just like throwing his body into walls. That's the coolest shit ever. Mm. Uh, Sam Jackson's so good in this. Um, there's a lot of really good things, but then there's also, I think a lot of like, I think dated stuff where because of where movies are now with the onslaught of fucking superhero movies and everything like that, um, I think parts of this movie are a little bit like mm. uh, there's like all the build up with the superhero stuff and like the comics. And that's all like Sam Jackson talks about, like which was his character. And I think at the time it was cool because there wasn't really anything like that. But now it seems like he really belabors the point where it's just like, check out these comic books, baby. And he, and he says like comic books, comic books. Uh, and then like, like even the intro there is a title crawl where it's like uh comic 16 million comic books are sold in a year and it's like they range from one dollar to two hundred thousand dollars it's like stuff like that and uh that came up and andrea just laughed out loud and she was like who the fuck wrote this uh she was shitting all over this movie actually um and she was like sorry am i ruining your uh your favorite movie and i was like well you're not making it fun um, but her points were valid. So like some, I, I really think some of the comic book superhero stuff, it's kind of dated now to the point where you're like, mm, you kind of want to like s speed along that. You're like, I don't need that anymore. Um, and then even with that, there's like, a, there's just a couple holes in this movie that don't really make sense. 
And at the time you're watching it, like I never questioned it, but watching it now, I was like, I was like, really? Where like after he's in the accident and then uh, Sam Jackson leaves him the notes, like how many days have you ever been sick? And then like he legitimately doesn't know. And he goes and asks his wife of like seemingly like 10 years. Uh, he's like, he's like, have I ever been sick? And it's like, neither of you know if you've ever been sick. I find that ludicrous. Like, I don't know. Is that just me? Because I got food well, poisoning. As, and as I we just talked about like, eating? what, 20 minutes ago, I'm like, yeah, I've been like really that sick for the last two years. So I don't know. Maybe I'm unbreakable now. Maybe. Maybe. No, but yeah, like, that, that would be a thing where like, uh, I'm pretty sure that a husband and wife would probably be very aware of like, I'm always sick. Why don't you ever get sick? And then, yeah. but, but the other thing though is, uh, Bruce Willis plays a catatonic man, uh, yes so that, that that was andrew's thing she was like is he a waterhead like why why does he not like wow she, her words she, she was just like she's like does he not like realize what's going on around him like when his son adds the weight to the bench press like that's a very cool scene but at the same time it's like yeah he is kind of dumb if he like doesn't really notice and I, I tried to play i tried to play like pro movie where i was like well the kid's super annoying and parents ignore their kids all the time. So I think you can chalk that up to him just ignoring his ignoring his really annoying little kid who's in his face all the time. So there's things like that. And I don't know, there's even like at the end when there's the big reveal and you're in his office and there's like <laughs> there's there's the orgy of evidence with like the six computer screens that are all just ha have like matrix code scanning on it. And then it's like all the headlines of like natural disasters. And then it cuts to the table and it's like, he has like, he has like bombs that are made and like little like devices that he used to like blow up the planes and like the hotel and stuff. And you're just like, what? Like this stuff's just lying around when he's having the exhibit with like 200 people in his house. So there's stuff like that is like that's kind of goofy. Um, I don't know, Jared. I I would like to get your opinion on it, but at the same time, I would say if you if you hold this movie in like high regard and you have fond memories of it, just let it let it <laughs> let it let it be. I guess. <laughs> oh man, it sounds like you a, know what it I mean. Sounds like a dare. Why are you gonna watch Unbreakable now? I have no idea. You can if you want, uh, but I'm just saying, like, I was a little bit bummed out. I was like, oh, it wasn't as good as uh, I had remembered. Well, I feel like the the thing I remember about that movie, and it seems like it's also because I watched it at a, uh, in the age that I did when you're very emotional in, like, grade 11. Uh, yeah. And I remember that movie being kind of like a lot of more, it's more of the emotional beats rather than, like, the logical thing. And it, yeah, like I said, it, it might is. not, it probably, it probably, like, uh, on a technical level, as uh, M. Knight has uh, displayed, uh, he is not the director that he was going to be cracked up to be in mm -hmm. that window of time. So I don't know. Those things probably become more evident. And then these things, you're like, that doesn't make sense. Because I remember, like, even at that time when that movie came out, some people would talk about these things. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's great. And mm -hmm. maybe now it's like, oh, then you go back and go, ooh. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. still okay, but it's not like, oh man, what a what a, a moving piece of cinema. Well, I I, I can kind of see what you mean because I do think it does have like those emotional bits, like you said, like when he goes to the house at the end and he rescues those two kids and they vis a vis 
rescue him in return. But then I was hung up on that scene where it's like, okay, so this convict guy pushes. Uh, so he takes over this house and he kills like the dad and he has the kids tied up and he likes to spit beer on this mom who's chained to the radiator. Yeah. And then that's he, all he, he does fought. is he, he just spits on the mom. He just spits that, that's, on her. That's all he does. And he like, well, uh, and he like finds that there's this other guy in the house and he pushes him into the pool and then he never follows up on it. He just he goes back to spitting beer on like the mom. <laughs> and then that's how the kids can like save him out of the pool. And I like, see, that was the thing for me. I was like, um, I was like, this never bothered me before. But it's like, wouldn't that guy like maybe go check to see if who that guy was or if he's dead and not just be like, well, he's gone. He's in the pool. Go back to spitting beer on this lady. Because he's sick, RJ. Oh, yeah. He's crazy. Or, you don't have to explain things when people are crazy. Uh, Andrea also thought it was funny, like, when he goes to test out his, like, intuition. That was actually one thing that I did, like, uh, really like is how uh, M. Night Shyamalan, like, rationalizes superpowers, like, x-ray vision, x-ray vision and and invisibility he's like i think it's just like exaggerated intuition people have i was like ooh, that's kind of cool uh but it's it's funny when he goes to the train station to try it out and there's a natural escal escalation in like severity of crimes he sees like the lady who uh like the lady who beats her kid uh or it's no it's the lady who steals a necklace and then it's the guy who throws a bottle at uh the black lady's head and then it's the guy who rapes that passed out chick. And then it's the guy who murders that other guy. It's like, man, it, he's sure lucky he like found him in that order. Because if you started with that murder guy or that rape guy, who things could have got a little scary, Jarrett. Mm -hmm. But anyways, unbreakable. Unbreakable. Broken. Hey, do you want to hear about Robot Monster? Yeah, why the hell not? So I watched this movie, Jared, called Robot Monster from 1953. Moon Monsters launch attack against Earth. That's pretty cool. Uh, I watched this because it was on Amazon Prime. And uh, it was only 65 minutes long, I think. Mm -hmm. So I watched it on a lunch hour. This is a... It plays out kind of like a 50s serial sci-fi. Like, I think there's... There's spots in it that I am pretty sure like commercial breaks would have would have been because it just fades to black for a couple seconds and then back up. And it's like every 10, 15 minutes. So it's like, all right, this was like some kind of TV deal. Um, no, that's what it seemed. <laughs> well, like it, I mean, it, it's the, well, I mean, maybe it's like the, a TV edited cut that was released, but it, it was because uh, that's Corman, right? I don't know. From 53. It is a guy named Phil Tucker and oh, the crew. I'm thinking of um, that costume gets reused or something, something like Al that. Al Zimbalist? Man. I yeah, the know. costume's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know oh, if this I'm was the... Of something else, I think. I don't know if this was the first time they used it, but I actually thought the alien design was the coolest shit. It's like a, a guy in a gigantic gorilla suit, and then he has a deep sea... Or it's like an astronaut helmet with big antennas coming out of it, and that's it. Robot oh, Monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've awesome. like this movie. Just like in my mind, I always confuse with. There's like a Corman movie that has also mm -hmm. a, like a ridiculous costume, and I always like think these are the same, but they're very. They're actually completely separate movies. Yeah. Well, this is Robot Monster, Jared. Yeah. Uh, so you have a little kid, 
and he's kind of shitty, but he likes science fiction. And then he stumbles upon like some archaeologists in a cave. And he's like, what are you doing, mister? And they're like, we're studying the world. Uh, and then uh, there's like a thunderbolt. And everybody on Earth is dead except for eight people, Jared. Right. Along with this little kid. And that happens in like the first two minutes. I was like, holy shit. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, it does have a spoiler. It has a cop-out ending where the kid was dreaming the whole time. So mm. it kind of moves A real invaders from Mars move. Mm-hmm. And then it has like the other bullshit where it's like, oh, you were, you silly, silly kid. You're, you're dumb. You were dreaming. But then like it's kind of like wavy and then you see the robot monster again. It's like, or was he? Mm. So it's like the double, double psycho. Mm. Um, but this movie is not very good. Jared, I saw some people rated this thing like pretty modestly at like three, three and a half stars. I was like, mm, I don't know. I, uh, not this year, but last year I went on a tear of this 50 sci-fi and this is pretty bottom barrel for me. It's got like a lot of stock footage of two iguanas, like fighting, and then stop motion like triceratops and i was like what do these have to do with anything like this doesn't really make sense uh and then like so the roman uh the robot monsters are called romans and they're like analytical and they're all based on like science and they go to kill humans before humans can develop technology to go find them yeah there's a really funny part when one of them one of the roman is getting instructions uh, from the leader and then the roman on earth is like but what should i do and the instructor guy's like you sound like a human not a roman it's like you shouldn't think for yourself uh so this movie's got like a real like fear-mongering uh red menace scare into it where about like everything in it is about america and then the roman monsters are these like i don't know communists i guess yeah uh so there's that. Um, I think they tried to throw in some King Kong stuff with this too, with the designs. There's a, like the cover itself has the gorilla man carrying a woman. Um, this movie's got weird shit though. Like, so everyone, the last eight people who are alive other than two kids, they're all scientists and they were saved by like vaccinations. So this movie actually does have a good message for like immunizing your children because it's your only defense against the Roman. Uh, but they're all scientists and then they talk there's two separate scenes in this where they're talking about their plans to make like a weapon and it is honestly it's a close-up of like for five minutes of two people just soldering like wires and metal together mm. and, it, and like that it's just a close-up of that with people talking over top and i was like what the fuck is this like like why is this here um, and then there's another bizarre thing where, uh, like the male lead and the young female lead. Oh, uh, they all, they all shit on the young female for being a dumb girl, uh, classic sci-fi stuff. Um, but they're walking in the desert, uh, and the young male scientist takes his shirt off for like no reason. Well, he's in the desert, isn't he? Yeah. But like he takes his shirt off and then he leaves it off and then they go make out in a bush for a while and then they come back to their like little blown up building uh, shelter and he still has the shirt off. And then he's like, he's like, listen, Pa, I want to marry this girl. What do you say? And then they have like an impromptu wedding in this movie. And he ha he leaves his shirt off for the entirety of the wedding. I thought it was bizarre. I don't know. Maybe it's 
your reaction uh, has me believe that it, it's totally normal, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like uh, the, the the tropes. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is a. Uh, I thought this was a um, Cold War fear mongering by war bonds type of movie, and I didn't think it was all that good, Jared. So there you go. Hmm. But hey, do you want to hear about Hard Eight? Sure. So I've never seen Hard Eight by yeah, uh, yeah. our boy PTA. Man, that's an oversight. Yeah, I think so. But I think that is a common one that a lot of people probably haven't seen because this is his first film, right? Uh, yeah, his first feature film. Other than like short films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I feel like a lot of people maybe haven't. But yeah, I had never seen it. And then I watched it because uh, it is loosely tagged on Wikipedia to our creep tonight. Uh, and I think that comes down to the very loose premise that it's an old man who meets a young man and then they meet a hooker. And like, that is kind of the only real connection yep. other than like Philip Baker Hall, the uh, library cop. Uh, he is like a gambler and teaches John C. Riley how to gamble. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I don't know. There's there, there isn't a whole lot. I think that connects these two movies. Nope. But maybe that's just me. Uh, so this is PTA's uh, Bob LaFlambe movie with Phil, Phil Baker Hall, John C. Riley, Gwyneth, and Sammy Jackson. Uh, I don't know. How do you talk about eight, Hard Eight? No, you <laughs> talk about it. So you have uh, the old man, and he meets John C. Riley. He's down on his luck. And he's like, "What are you? What are you doing, kid?" He's like, "Why are you like sitting outside of diners in the in the rocks?" And John C. Riley's like, "I went to Vegas to win money for my for uh, my mother's funeral, and I lost it all." So Philip uh, Philip Hall is just like, "You know what? I'm going to cut you a break because you seem like a nice kid." He's like, "Let me take you back to Vegas or uh, Reno," and he's like, "And I will show you how to gamble right, and I'll I'll show you how to do it." So they go and he shows them all the tricks and all the tips uh, and it's very smooth and it's very slick uh, the way it, the movie is laid out. Um, it's pretty impressive like for I guess his first film like this thing's this thing's pretty tight Jarrett. It's got all, all the right marks I think. Um, so he like shows them how to do it and then you cut to like two years later uh they're they're still friends you're not really sure what they're up to now but you see that time has passed and uh john c riley's hanging out with his friend who works at a casino sammy jackson and they both meet a uh a ho um a server who is also a hooker in gwyneth paltrow and so what happens is John C. Riley falls uh, falls for Gwyneth Paltrow as Philip Baker takes her in nicely, kind of like Bob Laflamble, uh, and lets her stay with them for a night. And then John C. Riley falls in love with her. Uh, but then she does him dirty, and she gets John C. Riley mixed up in some bad shit. And uh, Philip Baker Hall has to Sydney. work his Sydney Bob uh, has to work his way out of the situation. Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, um, Heart Eight's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got, like I said, it's real smooth, man. Like, it feels, I don't know, it, it's it's so much slicker than, like, Unbreakable. It, it's like a, a really great uh, Marty Martin Scorsese impersonation that, yeah. like, because he, cause he yeah. does it again with Boogie Nights. But, like, they're really, really good. And they feel like different movies, too, because he's a different type of writer. 
Um, but mm-hmm. the the scene that I will like forever remember in Heart Eight that's like I don't know so good is uh, John C. Riley talking about the uh, pack of matches that explode in his pocket, and then they, the and, and then they just edit to like the scene yeah. of him like out on the street just standing there, and then suddenly. Ah, as the the package, as you see the scene that he just said, and you're like, oh god, that's so good, <laughs> like because there's no setup for it, and it's just like, yeah, I love that moment so much. Uh, I too liked that, um, specifically for um, John C. Riley's expression after he puts out the matches, because yeah. he's like looking around at the other people, and he's just like, did any of you guys fucking see that? <laughs> he's like, what the hell happened? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie's got awesome dialogue, like all the conversations and just like the small dialogue too that they have uh, like the opening scene when they're at the diner just talking to each other um it's great like it's so well put together and yeah. sharp I think, I think it's a pretty amazing debut yeah i would say so it, it's up uh, there with uh the coen brothers blood simple for instance mm, another movie that i have not seen <sighs> But it's in the creeps now, so I will have to see it in like nine years. Great, right? Yeah. Uh, no, Heart Heart is really good, man. Like, um, I liked it a lot. I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, to be honest. What What's there to say? Hmm. Uh, not, it, it wasn't tiptoes. It wasn't tiptoe. Well, I had a lot to say about that. I, uh, I did like um the appearance of uh Philip Seymour Hoffman in this. He oh, was yeah. like bill paxton level annoying in this movie but uh the mullet that they gave him in this thing i think uh made it all worthwhile yeah i, I like the uh the era of the philip uh seymour hoffman appearing in pt anderson's movies so good what's your favorite of that for him what between boogie nights and punch drunk love best and, uh, well, I, well, and magnolia the master well yeah i know but i'm talking about like just those two movies between Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love. Maybe that's why Inherent Vice stunk so much. Because Philip wasn't in it? Yeah. It's possible. And then he's dead. He's not in anything now. Um Bums me partially out, man. your fault. Well, you he know, was he... in my boyfriend's back though. Yeah. By directed by your buddy Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban. Um hmm. And anyways, Jeez. I don't know. Heartache's really good. I pre- Boogie Nights, he's, I, I love uh, Stewie. Oh, fuck, what's, I can't remember his character's name, but yeah, Boogie Nights, uh, he's, he's 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 amazing. Uh, <laughs> he is Scotty. Fucking idiot. Fucking Scotty. idiot. Scotty. Yeah. I like him as the mattress man, but you know, to each his own. Yeah. That, oh, he's, he's amazing in that too. That movie's awesome. <laughs> Boogie Nights is awesome. Heartache's. TA is awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, did you know Paul Thomas Anderson is married to Maya Rudolph? I find that like one of the oddest uh, celebrity pairings. Do you know who Maya Rudolph is? No. She's like a. a he also, um, she also dated Fiona Apple, I think, way back when. I don't know who Fiona Apple is. Singer. Oh. So, well, yeah. Maya Rudolph is like a. She's like a comedy actress, SNL. Like, um, she was in Bridesmaids. She was Kristen Wiig's, like, she was the girl getting married in Bridesmaids. I, you're not talking my language here. She was in movies, comedy movies. I, I don't watch those. And TV shows. I don't watch that. Well, see, that's what I mean. I, I find it's a it's an odd pairing, but hey, good for, they seem happy, so. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm glad you think so. I, I endorse I'm sure, I'm sure their, their I'm marriage. Sure they're glad. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no, RJ, I don't watch that shit, because I watch noirs. <laughs> 
Whatever. I watched The Chase, as uh, recommended by listener Sam Sanchez. Which Chase? The Chase. Oh. Like 46. And, uh, yeah, this is like an indie movie. Very, like, off the beaten track. Doesn't have a lot of talk about it. But uh, it's kind of held up as, like, actually a lot of people make the comment that it's very Lynchian in some ways. And I think that's Mm. because it's got a kind of a strange structure, kind of like Lost Highway does, where Mm -hmm. the movie kind of restarts halfway through. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because you're watching it, you think you're watching one thing, there's like a certain level of cruelty. In fact, I would say that, I don't know if Barry Gifford, who co-wrote Lost Highway with Lynch, probably had seen this movie and uh, was lifting a lot, because there's some weird similarities to it and kind of nonsense that gives it a bit of character compared to some of these other things, but also Mm -hmm. because the movie's like done on the cheap, that it's like, ah, yeah, we don't need to explain that, we'll just do it like this. This movie's about a fella who uh, comes across a wallet on the street. Uh, he seems to be hard on his luck, has no money, and he finds his wallet with, like, 80 bucks in it, and he kind of was like, hmm, well, I could just keep this, but I'm a good guy. He sees mm-hmm. the address in it. He kind of looks at the address, and it's like, well, this person is pro- probably well off enough that if I return it, maybe I'll get something out of it. So he returns the wallet, but it turns out this guy, not only does he have Peter Lorre as his right-hand man, but he's also a real piece of shit with a mustache. Is this uh, real Peter Laurie or like Gene Hackman Peter Laurie? Uh, Peter Laurie, Peter Laurie. Not not to okay. be confused with Paul Giamatti. Yeah, that's who I meant. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> so uh, this guy we introduced to the the the, the bad guy. Uh, he's getting a pedicure done, and uh, he's getting a little like hot under the collar about something or other, and uh, it winds up with a the pedicurist kind of like gouging him by accident because he's moving erratically. She's like, I'm sorry, you moved. And he just looks at her, you didn't, and just belts her one across the face. And he sends her and, like, the housemaid packing. And it's just like, oh, this this is uh, a good guy right here. A lot of shorthand shortcuts here Mm. making you not being like, this guy is not no good. Uh, Real Jarrett. He he later on uh, has some, like, some fat man he's trying to get some boats from. And uh, he's like, hey, we're going to buy your boats. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll come to a price. He's like, yeah, we're going to come to a price tonight. He's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, what do you want to pay me for him? Nothing. <laughs> hey, let's go down to the wine when, cellar. When well, they go down to the wine cellar, and they leave him down there with the dogs who just eat him, I guess. Um, chew him up, mm. kill him. Uh, we get a nice, some, some nice fancy juxtaposition of wine running down a drain. Hmm. And then, uh, yeah, so this this sucker, this guy comes along bringing the wallet back. He winds up being a driver for this dude. But this is the weird thing. So that Mr. Bad Guy here, he's got this, like, car that's got mm-hmm. gas pedals in the back seat. So that's where he, like, controls well, What do you mean? Like, there's gas pedals and brakes in the back seat of the car where the passenger... Is, where's the steering wheel? At the front, why? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's like mind games involved, where like he has this driver steering, and he's got like a gas pedal and brake up front too, but they don't work. He's like, I like to control the speed of things. And then there's a scene where he's just like accelerating and accelerating, and he's like, because I'm crazy, <laughs> and uh, he's like almost crashes into it, makes him almost crash into a train just to see if he's got the guts, if he's got the right uh, <laughs> whatever. And there's a girl who's, like, kind of being held prisoner. Like, all these noirs kind of have these tropes of, like, bad dudes with, like, blonde dames who are, like, kind of 
you know, being held against their will, but they have no way of escaping. And then these these uh, numpties, these uh, do or do well types, they come along. They're like, oh, sure, ma'am, I'll help you out against this horribly dangerous man. <laughs> and uh, so they're going to escape to Cuba. Peter Lorre's on to him. There's a chase. He winds up like in a situation that he can't possibly escape. But then it turns out to, to have just been a dream. Or was it? And uh, it kind of works backwards. And uh, yeah, the the moral of the story of this film is uh, don't be a backseat driver because you're, you're going to wind up dying. Maybe he should have let Jesus take the wheel. Maybe. Maybe. So it's never thought of that. It's, sure. very, it's an interesting movie. This the chase. Um, the copy I watched, like I don't think there's very many good copies. I think UCLA put out some restoration. This looks like it might have even been filmed off a screen. Uh, mm. Lots of jaggies and VHSness going on about it. But interesting. I could see this one day popping up in the Criterion. I mean, we've got Detour. Why not these other strange deep cuts? Uh, the other movie I watched, uh, City That Never Sleeps. I watched this the other day. Uh, very generic to me, uh, thing about like a whole bunch of characters all living in the city. The story is narrated by the city who talks like a straight shooter <laughs> describing things as they happen. This is the stock sort of corruption beats. I don't know. This thing left no impression at me on me at all. Uh, maybe I'm past these noirs already this month. Um, maybe I should dig into some uh, old ones I haven't seen for a long time that are kind of held up. Uh, there's like the real classics of the genre, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you should just give up entirely. Well, I've, who says I haven't done that already? I'm, I'm here, aren't I? That's what I mean. You're still here. No, I am still here. This this is the bottom. No, I'm I'm talking about giving up. No, this I have given up. The final solution. No, this is it. This is the final solution, RJ. I don't think you realize it. We're, we died. Is this what hell is? Is <laughs> yeah. recording this podcast every week? Yeah. Oh. Speaking of the flames of hell, I watched the documentary Fire. Are you familiar? Oh, is... Are you familiar with uh, this or the other documentary Fire Fraud that was released oh. by Hulu? Well, which one did you watch? Probably not Hulu, as that is not available to us in this country. Correct. So I watched Fire on Netflix, directed by Chris Smith, who you might know as the director of American Movie, that uh, Jim Carrey, Men on the Moon thing from last year or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. This was his uh, new thing that I think he worked with, like an ad company that was also burned (laughs) by uh, this whole Fire Festival thing. Um, are, are you familiar with the Fire Festival and its shenanigans? I'm sure you've noticed that a bunch of people have been watching it uh, on Letterboxd this weekend. Uh, I was familiar with it when it um, when it happened. I uh, remember the story. But, but were you aware of it as it happened, or were you yep. familiar with it before it happened? Before as, it went down. As it happened, uh, because of like, I mean, when it did happen, it was all over the internet then too. So, but you don't know the preamble. You, you know well, I know like Ja Rule was there and like the build up to oh, it. And then when everyone got there, there was like nothing there. Yeah, well, Ja Rule was not there. but He was uh, supposed to be though, right? Well, he, he was part of the promotion of this festival. Anyways, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I could be covering ground that everybody knows. But for the most part, like I think everybody remembers that whatever weekend in April when the fire festival was supposed to happen. And all these photos started coming out of like uh, hurricane, like 
emergency tents being used for accommodations for this big festival that was going to be the Coachella, the new Burning Man uh, on this island in the middle of the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was, you know, crappy sandwiches with just cheese on them. And people were like so horrified by this. But uh, (laughs) and then everything involved seemed like this seems to be one big fraud. And it kind of was. Um, So this, yeah. Picking any one of these documentaries, the Netflix one does not have an interview with the mind behind the festival. This Billy McFarland. Um, so yeah, this just de- documents uh, how it happened, how it began. There was like a big uh, advertisement shot for it involving like ten famous supermodels that I have no idea who they are because I don't care about this type of like. Uh, this is like how th- famous. I guess supermodels. I don't know. Mm. People, you seem to be more in touch with this thing, or at least Andrea might be, because you guys say names of famous people. I'm like, they're not that famous if I've never heard of them, but I'm wrong. Mm. You are usually wrong, though. Yeah, but hey, I'm not paying $3,000, $4,000 to go see Blink-182 on an island in the Bahamas. Uh, yeah, so anyways, you, you in, could. there's talk of influencers, Instagram influencers. Uh-huh. Um, I, I barely use Instagram, uh, so I, I don't know. I guess I was I heard never... you love the layout of Instagram and the... Oh, man, trying to find your... Trying to access messages when idiots send you direct messages that way. Boy, that, nothing makes me happier. It's not that hard, man. No, it's just unintuitive. Why is it in the top right-hand corner? It doesn't make sense. I don't sense. know. Why are you in the top right well, hand why corner? It, why is it buried there? Anyways, so this this is watching like an alien world, like another existence altogether. Um, mm-hmm. it, this has more to do with like Harmony Corinne's like Spring Breakers for me, where I'm kind of watching this like horror show of humanity that I want nothing to do with because I'm poor. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. I'm in the lower classes. Um, watching this thing about like a day where a bunch of rich pricks had to go live like refugees for like a day and it was like the most memorable thing that happened to them um, but then they went back to their regular lives and then there's like the people who have to like carry on the the, the damages of the fraud hmm. um, I don't know I thought it was an interesting documentary uh, it's not recreating the documentary form or anything like that but uh, as far as these Netflix things go uh, I thought it was like one of the better ones I've seen of late just because it's like, oh, it's information. Uh, it kind of pre- presents things in a way that I'm like, feels authentic because it's such an alien stylized world uh, that producing this thing like an advertisement in itself kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I thought that was good. I think people should check it out if you give crap at all. This, it kept my attention the whole time. It was good. It's on Netflix, so it's free because you're paying for it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, well, unlike Split. Well, if you if you would get it for me, then it wouldn't be an issue. I, I did see it on Blu-ray at a store the other day for thirty dollars. Oh my god! Because of the digital copy. Ah, uh, no. It's a bad show. Yeah. And you're a bad person. Well, Jarrett, that's interesting uh, that you would um, watch this fire movie. Frankly, I don't find that in- interesting at all. That I'd watch it. No, just the the documentary itself. I don't care. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? You don't care about a lot of things, though. Who, who cares? <laughs> it happened. Yeah. It's gone. You yeah. don't need documentaries on everything. Like, did you hear that I, lady? I, 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 really... can't, I can't wait for this hot take when we watch Shoah. 
Oh, fuck. Who or, cares? Or, or like, the, like oh, wow. Uh, or lots of, do- we have actually a lot of documentaries coming up that you're not going to care about. It's going to be great. Did hey, you, RJ, you, you got any news? Yeah, the Oscars. This is by far the poorest. This just completely outs the Oscars as the most ridiculous award show ever. This is like the poorest uh, selection of movies I've ever seen. Uh, and while we're on documentaries, did you hear that the documentary short, uh, there is the one about um, a little boy who was killed in England and the lady of the mother or the mother of the boy who was killed. Uh, Jamie Bulger. Yeah. She had quite an issue with this because she's like, yo, why are you making documentaries on these uh, these psychopaths? Or whatever happened. Did, did Anyways. You, uh, I never me, read tell, the article. Tell, tell me more about things that you don't know about. I take things at face value. Here's what I took at face value. This is the worst Oscars ever. Listen to these movies. <laughs> Black Panther. Black Klansman. Bohemian Rhapsody. The Favorite. Green Book. Roma. A Star is Born. And Vice. Uh, Vice, Green Book, and Bohemian Rhapsody, I've heard, are just the biggest piece of shit movies. Like, not of just this year. Of many years. I don't know how any of those got put in there. Sounds like the Oscars to me. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how Paddington 2 wasn't nominated for any of these awards because clearly it should have won all of them, Jarrett. Uh, And then, I mean, there's your favorite movies, uh, Black Panther, Black Klansman, and uh, A Star is Born. Um, I told you Andrew saw A Star is Born and she thought it was shit. Um, Roma... Sounds fine. I will watch it, but I feel like I feel like so I like Alfonso Cuaron, but all all the buzz around Roma kind of made me like bummed out on it a little bit. I was like, "Mm." I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this as much when everyone's like, oh, this is the most luscious, delicious Netflix movie ever made. And it's like, I don't like that. Um, I don't know. Green Book looks okay. I heard it was bad, but. You said Black Klansman was good. And yeah. The Favorite, I'm sure I'll like. But I don't know. These movies all look like they suck. Other than like maybe Black Klansman and The Favorite. And I guess Roma. But everything else looks like horse shit. You know what I mean? That's like business as usual. It is business <laughs> I don't know. Because but... they started the uh, More Than Five in 2009. Mm-hmm. Well, a year after The Dark Knight. Because The Dark Knight was supposed to win that year. And fucking Slumdog Millionaire, which people are clear, still clearly talking about every day. Everyone's walking around jai in each other. It's ridiculous. Your uh, Spider-Verse was nominated for Best Animated Feature, and it will likely win, right? Mm, probably not. Or is I- Isle of Dogs going to take it? No. Surely you don't mean Incredibles 2. Oh, probably. Mm. What's a... Uh, well, Hey, uh, your first Reformed was nominated for uh, Best Original Screenplay. That's, that's pretty and that, funny. And that's it. I've that's seen, it? I've seen a lot of people mad that it didn't get more. Ethan, oh. no, no nomination for Ethan Hawke. No Best Picture nomination. That's too bad. It's too bad. I like how... So there's a movie called Cold War with uh, Powell Pal, Palikowski, and he's nominated for Best Director. But this Cold War wasn't nominated for Best Film, and I've never even heard of this Cold War. I've seen some people log it, but yeah, I don't really know anything about it either. Hmm. Let's see. It is 
Where's this movie from? China? UK, France, Poland? Okay. Polish? So is it a foreign film? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Does that I've never does that happen where a director of best foreign film can be nominated for best yeah it is best foreign language film there you go and he's nominated for so that's gonna win best foreign film surely probably that's weird I've never heard of that before like a director of a foreign film being I'm sure it's happened but well, not see, in the lot like recent years wasn't there some talk about how Roma wasn't going to be nominated for an Oscar because of dumb rules and they well decided because it's a Netflix film but they had a TIFF they had, release. Yeah, it did have a um, like a limited theater run before. Yeah, so that's the workaround. Yeah, I think you're kind of a workaround. But is there anything that like um, you want any areas you want me to talk about? No. So yeah, last year, uh, Shape of Water won. Um, yes, that movie was not very good. Uh, but, that mm-hmm. does, but that doesn't mean that it, it can't win because it's at the end of the day, it's the Oscars. Um, and uh, so this year, I'm really curious what the, the path to victory will be for these films. Usually mm-hmm. I find that the best director is like kind of part of that because usually if you win best director, you're going to win best picture, but not always. Sometimes they, they give you one and then they give it to the other one. But it all depends on like who's got the most noms, uh, and then you can also get completely shut out of that too, and wind up with zero wins, and but got all these nominations. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's a wild thing. I know you're into these like Oscar parties and like Oscar voting pools and whatnot. I'm I'm so, not into them. I uh, I participate because well, you you participate means that you're more into it than I am. I won once though. There you go. See. So, mm. so master selector, what, uh, what's your gut here? What's your, are you giving away some tips to help other people win their Oscar pools? Uh, so I've actually won twice and the, See, the only, you won twice. <laughs> the only times I've won is when I have a, well, the first time it's, I, I, I picked all the stuff that it's like the shit movies that it's like, Oh, exactly. this is probably going to win. See? The only reason I won last year or the, the last year that I won though, was because I did that for every movie except for Best Picture because everyone was like, oh, well, La La Land is going to win. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't think it was that good. I was like, I thought Moonlight was a better movie. So I went with my gut. And my gut worked out because I won because Moonlight won. But then last year I did it and I picked like, I went totally, you you can't stray from it too far because last year I didn't like any of the nominations either. So I went with like what I thought should win like our boy Willem Dafoe and things of that nature. And I didn't think Guillermo should have won. I thought they would have maybe given Chris Nolan, a, Chris Nolan it just for the the hell of it. But, and then I didn't do very well last year. So the big thing I guess is to be cynical. Yes. Yeah. So what's the cynical pick for what? Best picture. Yeah. What movie? I mean, what movie am I now going to have to watch? Black Panther. <laughs> no. Uh, I would say it's, Roma. It's, it's, it's sure. Yeah, it, it'll be Roma. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. It checks uh, their boxes. Like because uh, like Black Panther, there's no way it's their Avatar pick. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, those I people mean, never vote that way, but the they two, did vote for Shape of Water. So who fucking knows? Who knows? I haven't seen a single one of these movies, but the two that interest me most are Black Klansman and The Favorite. 
And I know neither of those will win. No, I won't see favorites a weird one, but I really, mm-hmm. I don't feel it. That movie's like, I just do not see a Yorgos uh, movie appealing to the people who vote mm-hmm. for this stuff. Um, it's kind of, it's like the phantom thread of this year where it's like, yeah, this is the movie that people will actually will talk about like 10 years from now from this list, but uh, no one cared about it at this point, or at least the people who vote on this type of thing don't care about these mm. sort of movies. So yeah, Roma feels like it's, uh, you know, uh, it's got four letters like Argo. It's black and white <laughs> and, and features Mexicans, all things very important to the LA scene. And uh, now it is, uh, would this be the second year in a row that that would happen? Or is it like third year in a row? I don't know. Didn't Alfonso, uh, Alfonso Cuaron win it? Oh, no, wait, that was uh, Gabriel Inuarta. Is he Mexican? Well, see, it's got it's got uh, black and white like the artist. Uh, it's got some Mexican director, just like uh, Shape of Water, and four letters. It's very simple, mm-hmm. and uh, there you go. And because they don't want to be too, they don't want to be political, RJ. They don't want they don't want to be picking no vice. Yeah, well, that movie sounds like it's fucking dump, anyways. Why would anyone want to? Well, it got nominated. It got this far, so who knows how they think? But nominated for like everything. They like that Adam McKay. They like that big short. They're like, <sighs> we, 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 sorry, we cheated you, sir. Mm. I was, I've never been interested in that. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> Well, whatever. Oscars suck, and uh, you suck too. Cool. Mm. Ah. Michael Gandolfini's going to be playing his dad. Oh, in the the Sopranos prequel, yeah, like that's cool and stuff. But I feel like we 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 don't need prequel things anymore because look at how bad all of them have turned out. Like, do you know what I mean? Look at all, or like when you revisit things. Like Arrested Development, and uh, I don't know. That's the best example I can come up with. But <laughs> you, you, you don't don't bring back stuff from the dead because you'll never capture the magic that you had before, right? Well, you just don't know till you try. Try what? Making more product for consumption. What kind of project? What project? What? I think there's a delay happening here. Huh? No, I was just talking slowly. <laughs> oh, slower than normal. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Hey, after the break, we're going to rob a casino. We didn't watch Ocean's Eleven this week. Aw, oh, damn it. What? Chips are down. Don't win her over. I'd see the tables turn around. She's in the hard way. I can feel it in my bones. She'll be making my day. Not another night alone. Bill, it's time for open ball. Not a single minute too soon. I've been too long overdue. Now I'm gonna shoot the moon. I did it all on good, run a bad luck. Seven come eleven, and she could be my lucky lady. And I'm gonna 
find love coming on the bottom line. Dites-lui un mot, un seul. Deauville. Belle gueule de voyou. Ce Bob, c'est un de vos indicateurs Vous voulez pas dire Bob le flambeur Si, si. Enfin, qui êtes-vous Une amie Et toi, t'étais le répété Ah, Marc. Oui, mais j'y croyais pas. Quand Cette nuit. Casse-toi, t'as compris Mais Bob, j'aime bien aider les hommes qui se mouillent pour le bon. Mais des mecs comme toi, jamais Quand Monsieur Bob doit venir, plus rien n'existe. Je te défends de marcher dans ce coup-là. Enfin, non, je te défends. T'as compris Le principal, c'est qu'on fasse arrêter ton équipe de truands et qu'ils ne sachent pas d'où vient le coup. Si ton affaire craquait et que tu te fasses arrêter, tu tiendrais pas le coup, mon vieux. T'as passé l'âge. À quoi tu penses À ton vison ou à ta cadillac Aux deux. Prince d'Orange à numéro 8. C'est mon chiffre. À 100 millions Les lumières, les grosses bagnoles, la musique des boîtes de nuit, le chant. C'est le soir où la ficelle m'a duré dessus quand j'allais l'arrêter. Bob était là et il a détourné le coup. Au lieu de te mouiller, si t'as besoin de pognon. Oh, soyez tranquille, monsieur. Nous avons un système de sécurité unique dans le monde. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Bob the Flambeur from 1956, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. The synopsis from Letterboxd. In Paris, Bob Montan is practically synonymous with gambling and winning. He is kind, classy, and well-liked by virtually everyone in town, including police inspector Ledru. However, when Bob's luck turns sour, he begins to lose friends and makes the most desperate gamble of his life. 
to rob the DeVille, DeVille Casino during Grand Prix weekend when the vaults are full. Unfortunately, Bob soon learns that the game is rigged and the cops are on to him. Was that the whole was that the letterbox synopsis? Correct. That seems really long. Plus, I, plus, is he synonymous with winning? Like, isn't the whole thing that he's like kind of? Well, this movie starts with like he's he's winning at the beginning, and then he hits a, lo- a, lo- a losing streak, and then that's like the whole thing is like he's on this big bum run. Okay. Until it all okay, but why, turns around. But why is it so long? Why? I guess the alternative is remember last week when we were talking about that Joe Damata movie Delizia. And the uh, the tagline was just, or the whole synopsis on Letterbox was just an Italian movie. Well, <laughs> what do you prefer? Getting into some uh, some details about how Letterbox stuff works, uh, it all draws on this site called the Movie Database, like tmdb.org. and uh, it's all user created stuff. And they migrated a whole bunch of things over from IMDb to get it going, and then people kind of touch it up and add it as they go. And a lot of people sometimes just copy and paste over the information that's on. IMDb and you get people who wrote those up that are like half-assed half-remembered they don't really they haven't really thought it through and no one spends the time editing and stuff like that it's kind of like a really crappy Wikipedia because Wikipedia there's like people who fight to the death over information but on these smaller sites things like this slip through like whether you like a one like two word synopsis even though there's like a 10 word minimum requirement I think Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, so that's Bob Leflambert. Uh This is the second time I've watched this movie. Um, when was like, the first time? Uh, I don't even know. Probably, it was probably 10 years ago because uh, I, 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 I started keeping pretty good track of my movie watching uh, about 10 years ago, and I hadn't watched it since then. So, um, And my memory of this movie was... Uh, it was like I think it was the first Jean Pierre Melville movie I had watched. Um, since then, I've watched subsequent movies of his, which are all like pretty well Criterion staples. Um, stuff like uh, Le Samurai, which uh, I always rethink of because there's the one Letterbox user Adam Cook who uses it mm. uh, as his logo. The man with the hat, the sharp dressed man. Is that a good movie? It's okay. It's mm. like I there's people who love it or super into it because it's like drive, but uh, I've I've always felt it was just fine, very stylish kind of movie, but not a lot of guts to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Le Cercle Rouge or uh, particularly Army of Shadows are uh, probably top Melville. Uh, but yeah, so Bob Flambeur. So coming back to this movie, I kind of had like a vague memory of the movie. I remembered like Bob had this like shock of like white hair, like it's like platinum blonde, mm-hmm. but he's like a kind of like a in my mind, he like was a bit more smooth faced, but watching it again, he's a bit more craggy. He's a little older than I remembered. And mm-hmm. there's this like kind of like this like bits about like he lives in this fairly nice pad in Paris, in like the rough part of town. Um, and he gambles in very stylish backgrounds of like checkered backgrounds and stuff like that. He has all these clubs and everyone's kind of looking out for him and stuff like that. Um and he's got this guy. This kid that he's hanging out with, it's a, the son of a guy he did time with in jail who's dead. Uh, so he kind of keep, like supposed to kind of keep an eye on him. Kind of like a, your typical kind of trope. I, I feel like this has come up before, particularly uh, Big Deal in Madonna Street, which I was thinking about quite a bit while watching this. Me too. Yeah, like it's very similar. It's very similar kind of idea. Um, but this is more serious where 
big deal in Madonna Street has like the comedy mm-hmm. angle to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, like he's got this like good relationship with the the police inspector, so it's not like he's being like shaken down. In fact, I would uh, there's like the relationship these two have that reminds me a bit of Heat. Uh, with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro's dynamic, uh, oh. where, where they have like their they're they're having their dinner, saying, "I think it'd be a really bad idea if you robbed that bank, <laughs> or like do what you're going to do. I don't think you should do it because I mean I don't have evidence, but I've heard some stuff, and they're like, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, so I mean, there's definitely uh, traces of this movie that I think are in a lot of other things because I feel uh, for like a generation of filmmakers, particularly ones interested in crime filmmaking, uh, this movie was a really big deal. Um, mm-hmm. as far as just like, kind of like these type of characters and moments and stuff like that. You have like the, um, I, I wouldn't call her a love interest. Um, but you, you have the, uh, the, the sex female worker, figure, the female character, your sex worker in this, who's like kind of bouncing around between like, and she's like, this is the thing. It's like, uh, I watched, we watched the good thief as well, which is the, uh, the Neil Jordan, remake from 2002 oh we uh, sure did yeah and so like it's part of it is like that movie is now kind of like has some weird imprint now that i'm talking about bob leffelenberg because like they're very similar but good thief we'll talk about uh it's very contemporary uh well because like mm. in the bob leffelenberg movie it's like it's such a nice like crime movie you know it's like everything's like everyone's neat nice and like kind of like well the gangsters are mean to one another and rough each other up but for the most part it's like all oh, these guys are classy gangsters. pretty friendly gang classy gangsters they're not mm-hmm. like rough and tumble heroin addicts and like just neon lights and scuzzy nightclubs and stuff like that it's all like you go to the cafe you go play some cards you stay up till six in the morning everyone has a good time there's some weird dubbed uh american sailors um it's all it's all uh on the up and up so um for me like i've both of them are okay good like it's a good movie it's not a bad movie um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i Kind of like Rafif, like I don't know. I've, I found Rafifi is another movie that came up, like in the Criterion context. Uh, then we had a little bit more of a grittiness to it that mm-hmm. I uh, like and appreciate a little bit more. Um, and even like Big Deal on Madonna Street, like it's got this like loose kind of fun quality to it. It doesn't take its trappings as seriously. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, with Bobble Flambeur, it feels like it's kind of like presenting the story as it is like it's it's very um how would you put it, it it's it really how it's, would you put it it's it's into its own trappings like it's into uh being a noir story and that can mm-hmm. work but it's also like kind of like the french interpretation of that and the french did have their own like uh i mean they they invented the expression film noir um but they had their own like um history of these kind of pseudo noirish movies but they're not american but by this point they would have been watching uh american films and that uh american influence was coming into these movies and then would come into like the french new wave stuff and then get regurgitated back into the american films and so this movie kind of like represents that kind of weird turning point where american noir which were just crime movies being made churned out by hollywood were getting sucked into brought into the french films and then French films would be then being watched in America and then kind of like you wind up with the 70s crime movies, which have these kind of like anti-hero kind of characters that aren't clean cut. And even with this movie, the way that it pays off is like it doesn't have that like crime never pays ending. It, mm-hmm. it does, but it doesn't. 
and it kind of like plays with that idea um, where like the guy actually does get all the money and he's probably going to get away with it. Um, but I, so for me, the best thing about this movie that I think elevates it above uh, like your average crime movie uh, from this era is the ending of the movie. Like the entire, like how Bob wins, like how, mm-hmm. how it's like there's the whole movie is setting up this heist basically. And the, and the circumstances of like why they have to pull this heist because Bob's broke. He gets this idea and he's like, man, I, I need this because I have no more money. And uh, this seems easy enough to pull off. And I mean, he's got it in his history. He did, he did this once before he went to jail for it, but uh, you know, he could probably do it again with the right people. So all this kind of like effort is deployed into like making this movie. You're like, okay, we're we're, here, we're, we're planning out the heist. Here's a like that we're gonna step back and have a narrator explain this is how the heist is gonna go. But which is a really interesting idea mm-hmm. because then you're thinking, oh, then because it's kind of like in the killing to uh, Kubrick's the uh, killing where it's, it's like yeah, where you, yeah, you get the play, you get a mm-hmm. a playthrough of like what it's supposed to look like, and it's really stylish too because like it has the guys walking into the casino and there's nobody else. It's just them walking into an empty vacant space, and they're like, "This is what's going to happen." Playing through it, mm-hmm. but then we never, but then it's like that never pays off because Bob goes in. And he's a degenerate gambler and he just starts playing and he goes on the greatest winning streak of his entire life. And he just keeps playing and keeps playing and keeps playing and keeps playing. And he cleans out the casino. Uh, And Mm -hmm. uh, he's like on his way out being like, Oh, Hey, he even forgets what time it is. And then of course the heist is underway and it goes horribly wrong. A rain of gunfire, people are dropped and, uh, you get the uh, nonchalant French kind of like, ah, so it goes. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, like, so like the, the whole end of this movie is like, for me, like what makes it memorable. A lot of the stuff leading into it feels kind of just there. Like, it's not bad. It's good. But uh, it's not like, I don't think it's even like one of the like top 10 of like noir movies that I could point to, I guess, as movies I'd be like, yeah, that's excellent. This is like uh, part of that picture, but yeah, it's I've, what is in the top ten? I'd have to make a list. Like, you you don't know offhand? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> You're gonna hit me with a comment like that and then not have any follow. I'd follow have to. That, that, you, you pay me. You you already mentioned one. What about the killing? Do you think the killing is in the top ten? No, no, no. What about? following by christopher nolan i know that you're a big fan of that movie garbage anyway <gasps> hey rj what what did you think of bob le flambeur and, fir- and, and your first uh melville movie so who's this melville guy why should i know him so he's like well i don't know he's it's, he's a criterion dude if you're into crime movies uh and i don't yeah. think you really are but like he's kind of like he, he's a he's a good representative it's like him him and like jules de Stassen, um who did Rafifi, they're like kind of these guys who you see these their names pop up. They're genre filmmakers, and it seems like genre movies in the Criterion always do well as being crossover movies because everybody likes crimes. They like their westerns. Mm-hmm. So when they pop in the Criterion, there's like bigger uh, demand for that sort of thing. Um, and like his movies, like yeah, he's got uh, Le Doulos, which oh, I've yeah, never you seen. Said, yeah. um, the Samurai. The Samurai. And then you have the, his submarine movie, which I haven't seen. Um yeah, the science Delamer, which is again like these kind of formative movies that he was making earlier on. And there's like the one when he starts working with uh, Alan Dassan, uh, like Un, Un Flick, uh, which I've heard is like absolutely amazing. He gets better as he gets going, I think. Does he have any sci-fi movies? No. 
Mm-hmm. He, he does not. <laughs> he's, he's got a really cool picture on Letterboxd. He looks like uh, Udo Kier in like the 80s playing a Western like oh. cowboy. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Not, not like totally Udo Kiri. That was just no. the first thing that popped in my mind. He looks okay. like a cowboy. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Bob La Flambla. Um, yeah, this movie's pretty good. Uh, I mostly feel the same way that you do. Uh, I, too, like the ending quite a bit. Uh, my favorite line in this movie is when he is confronted by the detective and the detective goes, hey, asshole. Yeah. Uh, and then there's just like a pause and he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, let's go. Uh, I thought that was super funny and I, that kind of made the movie for me, but I'm kind of with you where, uh, I think one, one thing I liked about this movie is that there's this, there's this big buildup and there's all these little things about Bob's character that you're kind of like, for me at least, I was, I was kind of wondering why some of those things were here uh, and what they were leading up to. And then I feel like a lot of that stuff kind of gets not like thrown out, but it it's deemed less important near the end because what it all comes down to is just him gambling. I call uh, he's taken over by that beast of gambling that we call gambler and he just can't <laughs> control himself and he can't, can't leave and he can't make his uh, daughter, her Florida costume. It, it, for it's, the- well, you know, RJ, I think it's a, it's what we call in the business misdirection of expectation. Mr. See, you're, you're sounding like a Hollywood executive. You sound like M night Shyamalan Ooh. explaining, explaining uh, that, the delicacies that, that of glass yeah. before it is released. Um, yeah, no, like I, I really like that because I thought I was like, so that's why it's called Bob La Flambla. That's why he's the gambler, because when it all came down to it, he just couldn't control himself. I've had that problem, too, man. You leave me alone in front of uh, some snacks and some goodies. I can't control myself either. Sometimes it happens. I get it. But I did like how, like I said, not not that prior things are thrown out, but they're just kind of they're almost deemed like moot because it's like i'm just gonna gamble and then he comes out and he just sees like all of his uh his hired goons and buddies and they've already like been defeated and he's like oh okay like he neither group has any influence on each other what he does doesn't matter to the goons and like or the robbers and what they do has no like no relevance to him almost Well, the thing with like it's so strange with that i think the one beat that's really off it, and that's like kind of like where i was mentioning like kind of like that, that uh cliche french attitude of like uh life you know it comes and goes it's like yeah here's this kid that i was like very concerned about like not getting like messed up into the business and uh mm-hmm. oh he's been gunned down and he's dead now oh well and like he's just kind of like Whoops. fine he's very fine with this and you're like huh because it's like it's like in big, big deal in Madonna Street. It's kind of a similar uh, dynamic where it's like you have like the kind of your middle-aged criminal who's like doing one last job, and he's got like kind of like uh, the friend, the uh, somebody's friend's son. He's looking out for. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's right out of the the paperbacks that this stuff obviously kind of like part eight. Of. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's always like the mentor kind of uh, apprentice mm-hmm. uh, dynamic to some of these things. It's a trope, uh, and that's fine. But yeah, I was I found like his like you get the moment where he's holding him up and he doesn't get like the final thing. He doesn't say anything. He just kind of gurgles out blood and then dies. Um, and then he's kind of like, oh, well, I got the money. And that's the thing is like, well, he's got all this money, and you have to assume that he's going to like probably take care of everybody. Maybe in theory, like mm-hmm. every everything suggests that he would do that though. Um, one of the other really nice moments with Bob for me is like his uh, dealing with uh, the pimp. Mm-hmm. And like, cause sometimes in a movie you kind of expect that, uh, yeah, he's a pimp, but you know, pimping ain't easy. That's, it's pretty cool. But no, he's like, no, you're a piece of shit and I'm not giving you a goddamn cent, which kind of also sets up, uh, everything kind of going downhill. Um, which is also kind of a heat like moment, uh, because you have like, um, Wayne grow, um, Wayne's right, world. Did you just w- say Wayne grow? Uh, oh, he, from Heat? Yeah, where like he's yeah. like, there's kind of like where De Niro has like nothing but disdain for Wingro, and he's like, fuck this guy, this guy's no good. And then Wingro's the one who kind of like fucks everything up in the end because he's just floating around, it's just on the mm-hmm. edges of the story. Um, I'm positive Michael Mann is probably a very big fan. It's probably name drop Bob LaFlamber because I think what's his what's his Robert De Niro's name in Heat? Is it Bob? <laughs> I wonder. Um, in Heat? I don't know. Let me check for I'll it. I'll look. I'll look. You talk about the movie, though, RJ. This, this, oh. this is your time. Is it my time? Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I do like the ending, too, because it kind of builds up to those things. Um, some things that I didn't really follow through as much, um, where it's kind of like I never really understood why he was kind of like the gambler with the heart of gold. And maybe it doesn't need to be explained, or maybe I just missed it, but... I was kind of like, why does he take this girl in? I'm not really like sure what the what the point of that was. Why why he would take her in? Like, do do you know? Uh, like other other than to show that he's a good guy. I think that's it. That's it. I think okay. that's it. Oh, uh, uh, Bobby De Niro's character's name is Neil. Neil. Okay. Neil Young. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really know that, but I did actually, I thought the introduction of that young girl was really funny. Uh, when they talk about like, uh, a girl that looks older than she is. And then they describe him as a, uh, an old young man. And then she's like walking around eating fries and she just full on th- like is littering. She's throwing shit. Oh yeah. Some guy, some she- guy on a motorcycle is like, Hey, you littering whore. Why don't you get over here? Sugar. And she like hops on his motorcycle and like just takes off. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like is she, is she, I, I didn't, I didn't understand. I was like, is this her job or is that what France was like at the time? People were just like, just throwing shit everywhere and hopping on motorcycles from guys who, call you like big tits and stuff there's a lot of sugar daddy ca- uh, talk in this mm-hmm. and it's like oh you too you're too pretty to be in this uh this joint doll mm-hmm. i got i got some good screen caps and stuff like that um because i feel like that's how you talk to me sometimes off air and uh people don't realize that you're kind of a monster too uh, yeah like, i'm uh, pretty toxic 1950s frenchmen apparently mm-hmm. we were bordering on some uh some italian levels of uh sexism here mm. that's a that's a politically correct way to put that right i uh, sure pal but uh yeah i liked um i liked the way that the heist was planned out with the big field with like the 
actual measurements and stuff like that. I thought that was cool. And then I liked how they uh, they did the walkthrough in his mind. I like that a lot, too. Uh, I also like in this movie how there's a lot of talk about clams. They refer to all money as clams. Uh, I thought that was really funny. I don't know why. They're just like, how much how much do you have left? 700 clams. And like it happened once. I was like, oh, that's funny. And then it happened like six more times. And I was like, God damn. It's a lot of clam talk in this uh, Bob Lafamba. <laughs> um, so that stuff was cool. Uh, one other thing that I really liked was the giant gambling sticks that the dealers oh, had. Oh, the spatulas. The, yeah, the huge spatulas to lift up like cards and uh, um, like their chips. I also liked how comically enormous the gambling chips were. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the money or yeah. I don't, I don't know what they're actually called, but like what he was gambling with, very Casino Royale style where it's it's the full-on car to chip. But in this, it's the size of like the hood of a car. He's just like <laughs> dropping it on the table. And this guy's got like a huge pizza spatula and he's just like, and he like flips it over the table. There's your you gotta, million dollars, sir. There's your million dollars. You got to give it to those guys, though. They had like incredible dexterity with those big sticks. Yeah. Like with not dropping those cards everywhere. That's risk control. That's right. Yeah. I was in awe of that stuff. So uh, I really like that. I I was a little thrown off, though, when he was playing and uh, there was crowds behind him reacting to his cards. And I was like, hey, you can't do that. Like if he was playing blackjack, I guess it wouldn't matter. But still, like, isn't isn't that a common courtesy? Like because he was playing against someone. So wouldn't it be? Well, I think the thing is, wasn't he like his when he was playing blackjack? Right, he was just kept hitting twenty one, and it doesn't matter. There's no plan because he only he kept getting two cards, and it was like twenty one, twenty one, twenty one, twenty one, and so it doesn't matter if anyone sees it because they're going to see the cards and be like, "Holy shit, he just hit twenty one again." Yeah, I I guess you're right, but if you if you look closely. When he like he first looks at the cards like to himself and there's like nine people behind him like peering over his shoulder. They're like, oh, fuck, what's he got? And then they react to it like as a crowd. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if you could get away with that in uh, the bigs, the bigs. Um, one thing I didn't like, Jared, is mm. the music. I thought it was kind of all over the place where uh, the one that shows it best for me is when uh, Paulo um he is like that's his name right yeah the hollow his buddy yeah when he like um when he finds out that the girl did him dirty and he's going after the uh the pimp uh and he's like running down the streets he's like running on different streets and like when he's on a different street the music cuts to something else and at first i thought i was like oh is the music changing to like the street he's on because the music is coming like from whatever street he's on it's like coming from that building but I don't think that's the case because it cycled through a couple uh, of the same ones in that sequence. So I don't know. I was a little confused by that. And I was like, uh, I don't really I don't really like how the music is all over the place. But um, the last things that I'll say uh, that you already brought up is um, I was thinking about Big Deal on uh, Madonna Street as well. Uh, I think I kind of that one has charm and humor to it where I think it. I don't know. I don't know if it was like the mood I was in that day. I thought that one was a little funner to watch. Like this isn't supposed to be a fun movie, I guess. But I did think Big Deal on Madonna Street was a little bit funner, I guess, maybe just because it's humorous. But uh, the other thing is I was thinking about the killing a lot, too, because uh, I actually like the killing quite a bit. And I know that is a future creep like years and years from now. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should watch The Killing. And then I was like, oh yeah, we don't watch Criterion's outside of the podcast anymore because we've ruined that pleasure uh, joy for ourselves That's forever. Right. <laughs> we we can we've talked about it before, but I I can't watch Criterion's anymore. Not in like real life. Well, yeah, you can, you can you can just. But what's the point? Well, then you just watch the movie again, like eight years from now. No, 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 no. You you like that I have you just raw or you or you reactions. just or you just no I don't care about that you can just watch uh, Robot Monster instead I guess. Hey, I mean, it was it was worth taking a gamble on Robot Monster. Ah, gamble. The, the alien, uh, the gamble, gambler. The uh, the design of the alien in, of the Roman in Robot Monster is I gotta say that's better than any horseshit H.R. Geiger ever came up with. Right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's my uh, hot rub on uh, Bob <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hey, RJ. We what? also we also watched uh, the remake of, uh, oh, God. of okay. Bob LaFlambe. Uh, so I'll let I, you I, so, talk about okay. this. But... So I was like, in my mind, after we watched this, uh, I was like, there was like, I think there's a remake, right? I felt like there's something made me think there's something. So I went to Wikipedia, as you do, and I looked mm-hmm. it up and I went, oh shit, that's right. The Good Thief, directed by old Neil, interview with the vampire Jordan. Criterion also, alum. A Mona Lisa from, uh, yeah, from old 2002. I remember this DVD floating around for years and years and years. Um, mm-hmm. Stars one Nick Nolte. Um <laughs> The the nat the natural himself, yeah. the pretty boy, Ugh. the wonder boy. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, when I was watching this, uh, my enjoyment all just derived from like how incomprehensible Nick Nolte his performances grow as <laughs> time as time goes on, and it's like so perfectly captured by um, uh, Tim Heidecker uh, in the film The Comedy, where he just like breaks into this like Nick Nolte impersonation that is just absolutely amazing. Um, because everyone, it's like how everyone's got a um, a Michael Caine impersonation. I think everyone should also have a Nick Nolte impersonation. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, is, is that uh, a good Michael Caine? Horrible, just like everyone else's. So nice. the Good Thief. It's it, so you know, RJ. When I was watching Bob LaFlambeur, I was like, you know what would make this movie better? Mm-hmm. I think I think Bob should have a heroin addiction. And, 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 and Neil Jordan shows up and goes, I've got you covered. You got it, pal. So this movie, do you want other people to have heroin addictions too? So this movie kicks off. So Nick Nolte plays haggard, shitty, like (laughs) dumpy Bob. He's in, he's in Paris or no Nice. He's in Nice. I think in this one on the, off the Riviera, Mm -hmm. uh, cause it's probably cheaper to shoot there than Paris. Mm-hmm. But uh goddamn, he's doing heroin in a club. Uh, the first time you see him, he's shooting up the our, our girl sees him, and she's just like, "Whoa, hey, having fun there, shooting up." He's like, "Yeah, it's not a big deal." And um, the movie continues on, where it's like, "Oh, this is Bob Laflamber as a remake," because he's like, "Oh, he's a good guy," but he like also breaks up an Argentinian uh, who's holding uh, the the new police inspector up uh, with gun, and then. <laughs> Bob shows up with heroin needles to stab him in the arm. And he's like, why did you do that? Why are you such a good guy? Um, and then this is all in between uh, 
the slow motion editing, which I was watching, and I'm like, oh man, RJ's gonna love this so much. He loves slow motion editing so much it's his favorite thing in the world and this movie's got so much of it it's got these abrupt edits and cuts to things and like at the end of a scene it'll just go to slow motion for like a couple seconds for no reason for for no nothing at all how about that final shot though rj the 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 jump cutting of them walking down the deck uh to like music jauntily um yeah, so The Good Thief, it, it pretty well covers the same ground as Bob LaFembert, uh, It's but it's modern. It's very mm-hmm. modern because everything's scummy and horrible. <laughs> Everyone's dirtbags. There's, like, all the same characters, but they've kind of, like, condensed some characters here and there. They try to, like, tie things up so it feels a little bit more logical, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, this time, though, instead of just, like, going in to steal cash money, they're going to steal paintings <laughs> because that's – easy that's easy thing to get rid of way easier than cash money that a casino wouldn't be really keeping track of sure and then they're gonna they're gonna use a fence played by ralph fines um and like man ralph fines is one of those guys that i either like am like totally cool with him in a movie or i find him like awful like he he goes Mm -hmm. one way or the or the other for me and this is one of the latter cases where I just like I hate him in this. He's just like good every like shitty like I'm 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 crazy. I got a guy who's got a knife and he's gonna cut your face up because <laughs> I'm serious. And it's look just, how serious I yeah. am. You get so you have scenes with like Nick Nolte who apparently uh, said that <laughs> he tried a little bit of heroin to get into character because he's <laughs> a so, little bit he, he, to get into character because he's so method. And of course, this was like uh, wow. around the same period when uh, remember when Nick Nolte uh, got arrested and like looked like a bag of shit in his like uh, booking photo. That legend for that le- for like substance abuse and like drunk and like he was a total mess. That's why he like went off the. He was in the movies for a while. We'll just say that because he was up hmm. right around this time. He was a big pile of shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you know, it's never a good idea to try just a little bit of heroin um, because bad things probably are going to happen. Do you think it would have worked better if he tried a lot instead yeah. of just a little? Well, he'd go all the way, you know? Why not? So, yeah, good thief, huh? Um, there uh, is uh, – this movie is just re- – like, I don't know. I was, like, okay with the movie for maybe the first half hour. And mm-hmm. then, like, there came a point where I was just like, this movie can fuck off. I This is so boring. This is just, like, every modern crime movie that comes out that's just, like, lifeless, uses a bunch of, like, fancy camera tricks and editing to, like, cover up the fact that there's not much to it. But it's like, here's an exotic locale. Here's some uh, regional-specific music, but it's hip-hop in French, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's great. That'll carry us through. It gives it flavor. Um, Neil Jordan kind of did this same thing for uh, there's his vampire movie, uh, Byzantium. I think it's pronounced. Oh, and, yeah. And it's the same shit. Like, this kind of, like, heavy Euro trash vibe to it where you're just, like, everything's neon and grungy and, oh, shit, there's sexy European girls everywhere, but they're all in the Ooh. sex trade, so it's all grimy. I don't know. This movie is uh, not good. <laughs> uh, what do you think, RJ? Yeah, this movie sucks. <laughs> uh, I was, like, five minutes into this, and I, I messaged Jared. I was like, so... The good thief, huh? Because I think it's I think it's at five minutes that they have uh, one of those, one of these fast 
fast slow motion scenes that you talked about uh-huh. and i have mentioned how much i fucking hate those uh and it's like it's it's so weird when they do it where it's either a full slow motion or it's a fast slow motion so it's like slow motion but there's like parts of it that are sped up and there's like a filter over it to distort the color or something like i don't it's like fake slow motion yeah it's fake slow motion and it just it drives me crazy because it's so shitty and it looks so bad and there's never any reason for it to exist in any of these movies that it's in. Because it's like you said, it just it comes out like completely unsolicited. Well, there's like an entire like 15 year window of cinema where this filter, like this effect happens yeah. in the movies. And it's just but it, there. It, it comes out of nowhere. It's like, why is that here? It's like, nobody knows. We just we just needed something uh, for this thing. Like, I guess what you said to cover up that either it's boring or that there it doesn't look good. It's like, well, why don't we just add this thing in here? It's like a weird influence of like, um, that people always talk about like, uh, music video editing that kind of like creeps up in the eighties and nineties. And people don't really necessarily know what that means when they say it. But I feel mm-hmm. like this would be a prime example of like bad decision making as far as like filmmaking goes. Mm-hmm. Bad decision making. Yeah. I thought, uh, the good thief, Sucked real hard. I didn't know why he had to be a heroin addict. I didn't know why the girl was like an an insatiable nymphomaniac. I didn't know why any of the decisions. When, when she made. smokes crack. <laughs> when she smokes crack, I was like, I don't know why any of this stuff is happening, and I don't really care either. That was the biggest part of it. Was I don't really care. But he knows so much about art. He just knows names because he's like, because like, that's like the shorthand of like, I, <laughs> I, I know about art because uh, look, I studied art history. I just know because I love France. I love Paris. Hey, I Jared, I don't know if you know, but uh, Van Gogh was uh, the thief of the art world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like ice cream. <laughs> oh, that's more Tom. Sorry, it's like getting to Tom Waits territory. I was gonna say, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, no. Then remember, like the scene where like he's uh, trying to kick and he's like uh, handcuffed himself to the bed, and she's like, "Oh, that's kinky." And then he's like, when he's like in the throes of like uh, uh, withdrawal, she's like starts doing this like seductive dance in mm-hmm. her uh, bra and panties, saying, "Do you want the key?" <laughs> and it's like, is that... what a bitch! Like, what what is wrong with her? Why is she such no, a bad person? So... I can speak to that. That is actually how they do detoxing at uh, a lot of the Hollywood, um, like, you know, all those places where people go to get clean. They they, they trot out, like, uh, Eastern European, like, 17-year-old girls and and tempt you with the key. How do you think Alec Baldwin got cured? Well, see, I don't know. Does anyone ever get cured? I mean, does anyone have free free will or free choice at all even? These are big issues that uh, it's just only scratching the surface of the complexity that is The Good Thief. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Hey, The Good Thief sucks. I And I feel bad. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit mad that you told me to watch it. Oh, yeah, because you have to suffer with me. <laughs> I like, I get it. And like, I did watch it because I was like, Neil Jordan... It is a literal remake. I will if I don't watch it now, I'll never want to watch it again because I'll be like, eh, yep. there's no use talking about it. But uh, at the same time, I don't like you and I don't like the things that you force upon me. So, yeah, but you'll be here next week and the week after that because you're here for the abuse. I will be, but 
we're working on a replacement for you. So I got to still <sighs> make sounds, talk with that. Producers. Sounds amazing. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll happen. <sighs> so yeah, good thief. I seen some people think like highly of this movie though too, but mm-hmm. I, I know I like when this movie came out, like I never wanted to see it. Like there's nothing appealing about it at all. There still and, isn't. Uh, and there's, and there isn't to this day. Like, I don't know. Maybe this stuff will age really well. Kind of like how I remember a period of time when like watching eighties movies was a trial and nobody was into it. Um, maybe like another like 15, mm-hmm. 20 years from now, that good thief will be like, it's like better than thief. <laughs> Cause there was a, there was like, a, there was an era People won't believe me. Where like Michael Mann aesthetics were frowned upon quite heavily as very eighties. The music and the style of it, people people were not fans. I I, I, I believe I you. Swear. I mean, people and, didn't like John Carpenter either, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. Like a lot of things. So, like they, maybe uh, we just haven't aged gracefully yet into the Good Thief. We're not we're not where where it's at yet. I don't think you and me will ever age gracefully. We're already half in the hole. Yeah. I'm looking at Jared. His body is just <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> just unsettling to look at. There's so much skin. There's so much gross stuff falling out. Hey RJ, you want to hear what? about who hates Bob Leflambeur? Um, does anybody? Has anyone even seen this movie? Thomas Kiskinem. Two stars. Hmm. There's like a one and a half star that's like way too long. But they also, oh. but they mentioned they don't like the music either. I the music didn't oh. the, the music didn't bother me. I I I don't remember it at all. It was just kind of I felt typical, I guess, of uh, kind mm. of a jazzier kind of score, I guess. Suppose. Okay, what does uh, Thomas say? A movie like Bob the Gambler hinges on its lead's ability to charm the pants off you and yeah. keep you invested in his story. But Bob the Gambler did the opposite. He irritated me. He's the typical middle-aged man who surrounds himself with young, impressionable faces who look up to him and prod up his ego. He chases off a pimp who's, who's, who is trying to chat up a young girl that he can exploit, a noble act, which is then followed up with Bob telling the girl what's appropriate for her, how to act, where to be, and what she should be. Typical man stuff, because women are helpless little creatures who need to be told what to do by men. Bob constantly looks annoyed. He has this piercing scowl to him, as if he was distrustful of everyone around him. I didn't find him charming in any way at all, and I wasn't invested Mm -hmm. in the story. The movie could have been salvaged with a strong supporting cast, but for the most part, the ensemble is filled with serviceable stock characters, but nothing more. I also hated how little tension there was in the movie. As if I wasn't bored enough already, the excitement had to be low also. The one thing I did enjoy was the ending note, which could have been amazing in a better movie. Um, so Thomas Kilskinen, uh, I am actually on board with uh, all of their five-star movies are a lot of five-star movies that I have as well. The only place that they fall off for me is they just gave, well, not just, but they gave Wild Hogs one star, which I feel like is really unfair to Wild Hogs. And then they also gave What Women Want one star, which if you'll remember, was on last week's Who Hated, Those one of those people also was shitting on what women want. To which I ask you, Jarrett, what's wrong with what women want? Because <laughs> I actually think that movie's pretty good. Mel Gibson, probably. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think you would uh, be on board with most of this person's ratings as well. So, okay. how, how, how do you feel about Bob as a likable or unlikable character? Who, I, me? Yeah. I thought he was fine. It was yeah. like I it was like I said the only thing 
I was like, well, why does he take this girl in just to show that he's like a nice guy? And then I was like, oh, he is a nice guy. Like that's what the pimp scene shows. But there was never a time when I was like, I really want to hang out with Bob. No, you know? that that's true. He's not yeah. like a cool dude. He's just kind of no. like an old. He's just an old guy. Yeah, that and that's fine. Oh, oh yeah. So there's the other thing that uh, that Nick Nolte. So the, again, the good thief. The one thing that like when I said like I was kind of okay with this movie for the first half hour because I was like as always uh, amused by Nick Nolte's incomprehensibility. Mm. But he also had like that Bukowski. Like there's like this burnout kind of yeah. like alcoholic writer and kind of. France vibe that is always kind of like charming. There's this one movie called Crazy Love that has the same kind of thing going for it in its last act. Um, and I always like kind of like that idea, but it all depends on what you do with that idea. You have to like make it interesting and not be like, all right, now we're just going to attach it to this crime classic movie mm-hmm. and uh, but and have a heroin addict. That's a tough thing to get someone likable. But hey, give me Barfly any day of the week. Yeah, Barfly is really good. And yeah. Bukowski is really good, too. Yeah. Hey, like the guy. What? We got uh, a, a, a regular in the hate uh, category, Rembrandt Q Pumpernickel. Ah, yeah, this person's all over the hate train. Two stars. What if not that? This is a phrase I've been repeating what? to people. What if not that? This is a phrase I've been repeating to people over the past four or so months. It's my term for the simplest sort of genre play where a filmmaker or other type of artist sees the conventions of some form or plot expectation or aesthetic device and asks, what if not that? It's the Twilight Zone, or at least the worst episodes, something built only on frustrated expectations. Bob LaFlambeur is a very good uh, is very good at frustrating expectations for a noir, but I kept asking to what end and not coming up with any sort of satisfying answer. Uh, it's an atypical film, but then what? It ends almost suddenly in a weird and melancholic way that rejects a lot of epic of the epic darkness and anguish of most noir, which I appreciate, but I am still left asking why. Sadly, the only thing Bob LaFlambeur doesn't seem to really question is the misogyny of noir films. That's mostly left unaddressed. Um, mm. So I think what they're getting at is like the, kind of what we talked about earlier is like the that circumvention of like we don't get the heist. We get this whole yeah. other scene kind of play out. And I guess uh, for some, that's not enough. It's going to be like, but why? Um, and yeah, I, I get also like the idea of like the, the Twilight Zone, like the worst episodes where you're just like flipping something on its ear for the sake of flipping it on its ear rather than mm-hmm. like having a justification for that for idea. Which, fair enough, but I don't feel like this movie is, like, that egregious of an example of doing that. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this is uh, a movie that is, I guess you could say, like, an, uh, a filmmaker experimenting with a genre that they obviously like quite a bit. Um, and they just kind of made this story but decided to go in a different direction. Whatever. Multi movies mm-hmm. do it. Um, sometimes just doing a straight up like hard knuckles version of the story is the best way of going because uh, that can be satisfying in itself but sometimes inventing stuff is why not there's enough of these things you could try something else out too make make your thing stand out I think we've always aimed to be the hard hard knuckles version of podcasts yeah meat and potatoes uh, yeah uh, I've mentioned before about Rembrandt Hugh Pumpernickel they got they like good movies like Criterion's. Lots of Kurosawa. There was Perfect Blue in there. Lots of good stuff. But I think they're also a professional troll because they gave King Kong a half a star. The Last Picture st- Show a half a star. Is, is there a review though for uh, King Kong about racism? 
Um, doesn't look like it, but I mean, it could. But they did also give Beyond the Black Rainbow a half a star. But, ooh, in the mood for love, half a star. Standing there, that's, 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 that's when we probably heard from uh, them last. Yep. Professional troll. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the internet for you. What about the internet? That that's it right there in a in a nutshell in a letterboxed review. It's all about trolling. Is that all of it? That's it. It's all one big elaborate con. To what end, Jared? It's it's just like at the end of uh, the Good Thief, where it was all one big con because <sighs> they got all the money anyway, and then they got a check. And then they walk away on the beach. But hey, maybe I'll sue you for damages. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not. It doesn't play as good in. Uh, no, it's all it, it, in, in Bob. In Bob Flambeer, it's great. It's a final. It's a great final yeah. shot. The him just smiling. It's like a kind of the flip side to uh, Mona Lisa or or, or not long, mm-hmm. uh, good long Good Friday. I'm thinking. Yeah. Of. Yeah. Ooh. Long Good Friday had a great ending. The, the best part of that movie, the music and that final shot. Oh, yeah. I miss uh, I miss him. Yeah. Bob. Yeah, we're talking about Bob Hoskins. Yeah, not this other Bob. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Fine. Yeah. After the break, we're suing for damages. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sue you for all that weird shit that you touched me with. <laughs> Those long gamble gamble war sticks. Mm, this, yeah, those things are pretty weird. Oh, that was on cool. A warm I summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, "Son, I've made a life." Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last one So RJ, when are you starting up your gambling industry? Uh, I was going to start with um, trying a little bit of uh, meth, like a little bit of heroin. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You should probably definitely start a drug addiction first and then just, get into the gambling. Just a little bit, though. You don't want to go overboard. So you just you have a little taste, a little Nick Nolte style, just a little. And then uh, from there, you can the rest will the rest will write itself. Yep. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a life to be lived. The, the Duncan philosophy, I think. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about your drug of choice and how your you're Duncan going to. Your Duncan philosophy. And your Duncan philosophy. We've got a Facebook page. <laughs> We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnlow. We have a YouTube page. We've got a Patreon. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Next week, RJ, speaking <gasps> of drugs. Spine mm-hmm. 151, Steven Soderbergh's Traffic from 2000. And pretty pretty new. What? Yeah. This is like real new deal. This is like, uh, wow. It's like in the mood for love era. Yeah. 
you're definitely accurate in the the time frame of which both movies were released, Jarrett. Yeah, within years of one another. Sure. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see Mexico, America. Oh, Skype cut you out there. I. Skype cut you out. They must not have liked what you were saying. It must have went against the uh, the alt left. Oh, you mean control left? Oh, control alt delete. Sure. Uh, Imagine I want to see Steven Soderbergh's take on modern politics. Uh, you should watch Joe. Oh no, wait, that's David Gordon Green. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, he's the we. He's in, he's soon, isn't he? George Washington. Yeah, why don't you watch Magic Mike? I might watch it. Go for it. Why don't you watch it too? Why don't you watch The Limey? What is that? Terrence Stamp being a hard man. Telling what does people, that have to... t- Telling people he's coming, that he's fucking coming. What does that have to do with uh, traffic? Steven Soderbergh directed it. Oh. And it's a, it's, it'd be kind of like a, it's a neo-noir. Mm. You like words like that, right? Yeah, I like descriptive words to describe stuff. It's actually got a pretty uh, good commentary track with uh, screenwriter Glenn Dobbs, who just like lambasts uh, Soderbergh for fucking up his screenplay. It's good Did you times. say Glenn Dobbs? Glenn. Glenn Dobbs. Glenn Globs? Glenn Dobbs. Glenn Globs? Yeah. You see, keep saying the same thing over and over again. Gleb Globs? <laughs> RJ Balrog? Hey, Jorge Balrob. You lost me. Good night. I'm done.